Hey, player two. It's me, Kitty M. You've forgotten about me? Good, because I haven't forgotten about you, and there's so much in the land of Pod to tell you about. Deadpool 2, the solo movie. There's a trash fire where we're going to discuss all the neckbeard hate. Oh, and I'm going to ruin Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like, really ruin it. I mean, make it almost unwatchable for you, because I'm going to point out all the terrible things in it that you might not have seen, because sadness feeds me. Come on, Player 2. Let's roll. Hey, Player 2, come in, sit down. I know, I know, it's been forever. This year has gone crazy fast. But I'm glad you're back, because there's so much news. I got it off the notice board, and I don't even know where to start. So let's just start with the fact that Netflix is going to have a comic book. I know, it's called The Magic Order, and it looks very cool. They've got a trailer out now, and you should definitely check it out, and then tell me what you think of it at ChaosKittyM on Twitter. That's back in Meatspace, or Interweb. Look, I'm really not sure with all these planes. It's, it's getting difficult. What I do know is that B and Cad looks quite cute. You might have seen this as a short from Nickelodeon a little while ago. It's cute, but like all good things that are unique and should be allowed to blossom, it's instead being left on the vine to rot like the Snyder Cut of Justice League. (laughs) Joking. I mean, not about the Snyder thing, that's truly terrible. But B and Cad is not being picked up by Nickelodeon, but instead being made into a graphic novel. It looks pretty kid-friendly too, so consider this the one time I mentioned something that someone under 16 should be able to pick up without scarring them for life. Until that hits the shelves though, which will be a while, this Teen Titans Go, the movie. Teen Titans Go is proof that not everything in DC needs to be dark. It's just better when it is because some of us just like to lean into the gaping sadness, okay? Titans is going to be coming to DC Universe, the DC streaming service, and will basically be featuring these same characters, but it's looking a little more young adult. Teen Titans Go is for the kidlets and adults, because if it says six and up, it's six and up. The really cool thing for Teen Titans Go fans is that Tara Strong, regular DC voice actress of Wonderment and all-round treasure of the Twitterverse, has said that if the movie does go well, there could be a sixth season for Teen Titans Go. I'm no huge fan fan of this series. It's a bit too cutesy, and while it has the occasional Easter egg for DC fans, it's really not something for me. But it is for other DC fans. So I think I'm still going to go ahead and try and see it. It should be out around the 27th of July, so check it out. What's the worst that can happen? You'll get to see an animated movie. Those are always good, generally. Out later than that, in 2019, will be the next Wonder Woman movie, which will apparently be set in 1984, because hopefully we're not over retro stuff by then. What does this mean? Well, there's been a lot of speculation, but I'll tell you this for nothing. If it doesn't include big hair, Janelle Monae's pink, because obvious Prince references and also Prince, and a reference to Hawkman, then what even is the point of anything? And if you're wondering, why bother talk about Hawkman in a Wonder Woman movie? I would wonder the same thing if I didn't know that Hawkman was around in the 1980s. Hawkman, who is Thanagaran, and many of us thought those guys were hinted at in the Justice League movie, wouldn't have been cool if they had been. Hawkman was in the GSA, Justice Society of America. You know who else was in the GSA for a bit? 
Black Adam, also known as Teth Adam. I've talked about him extensively because he is the guy that The Rock has signed on to play in the new Shazam movie. And I know what you're thinking. This should be a movie about Wonder Woman and how she has a girlfriend and maybe it's just a movie about her going about her day having a lovely time because don't we all deserve a break? And I agree. I want that movie. I just would like one scene where Diana and Nubia are buying vegetables at an organic farmer's market where Lita points up to the sky and is like, Mom, is that a bird? And Nubia's like, is it a plane? And Diana's like, nah, it's definitely a bird, but more like a man bird? And then they all shrug and go get soy ice cream together. And that is the only reference I need them to make. And then they can go about their day and just be two hours of them hanging out and being cool. Speaking of things that are cool, remember when The Crow was totally going to be remade with Jason Momoa and we were all really happy? Because who isn't happy to see Jason Momoa? He's actually shorter in real life. I think I could take him in a fight. Well, prepare to be disheartened because now that's not happening. The upside is that in a world of remakes, you're actually allowed to just rewatch the originals of the movies you liked the first time. But it's still sad we're not going to see him as the crow. Talking of bringing old monsters back from the dead, Godzilla vs. Kong is a movie that's surprisingly still happening, and Julian Dennison is going to be in the movie. And I mean, say what you will about Deadpool 2, but that kid can act. What's that? What do I think of Deadpool 2? I am so glad you asked. Let's head somewhere and find out. But first, we need to stop at a trash fire. It's been a really long week. Ah. <sighs> I'd like to say I can't believe we have to make this stop in the land of pot every time, but have you seen the state of the world? We're here at the trash fire for bad reasons. There's never good reasons to be here. I can't be talking about The Last Jedi or Star Wars or even just geekery in general without mentioning the amount of angry, angry people who bully Kelly Marie Tran on Instagram. Words are not enough to express how utterly disappointed and angry I am about that. I mean, you bullied a fellow fan for being in a movie that you wish you could have been in. We all wish we could have been in at least one Star Wars film. And for that, I don't think those people deserve fandom. You heard me. Get the hell out. And we don't need those people here. I'm serious. There's a lot of creators and actors that I don't much care for. I may express that disgust or disappointment, but I'm not going on their page to tell them about it. I'm certainly not going to make it personal with an actor in a film. While the actors are the stars, unless they're Kevin Smith, there's a good chance they didn't write, direct, produce, or create the storyline of the movie you're seeing. So why would you be taking it out on them anyway? Not that you should be taking it out on anyone that way. At this point, it's not even about being a decent person. I've given up on expecting people to clear that obviously too high bar. At this point, just work on containing the inner trash fire. Just adjust that human suit a little more so the stench of your bigotry and general self-loathing doesn't leak out to the rest of us. And don't give me, well, I guess I'm just a jerk and this is who I am, because that's a terrible excuse in general. It's like driving down the wrong side of the road and at no point deciding you should pull over and find a way to get on the right side of the road. Or walking out of the house with no pants on and realising you don't have pants on. That happens more regularly than you would think, but then just continuing your day sans pants, which might be delightful and easier for you, but the rest of us have to deal with it. And I'm saying this not as some SJW on their high horse. I like to think of myself as more a social justice druid because I like the fluidity of it. I'm also someone who's a complete jerk. And I've got news for you, most of us are complete jerks. 
Most people around you are thinking terrible things, and they're angry about sports or politics or comic books or whatever, but they are not going to someone's social media and abusing them for something they didn't choose anyway. And do you know why? Because that's the agreement we make in this society, and it doesn't make you tough that you're ignoring that agreement. You are not special in your anger. You are not unique in your self-righteousness. None of us are. The only thing that separates you from me is that you're upset someone was inclusive and you bullied someone. Let that just sit with you, okay? You're a geek who bullied someone. And we can disagree in geekery. I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I will discuss heatedly about Killing Joke, and I will damn well scream you down when it comes to Justice League. Bullying someone because they didn't fit into your limited view of a universe that you didn't create, you are not part of, and no, the movies didn't get big because of you. Because this, I've been a fan of these movies for 40 years, neckbeard please. That makes you a kid when you saw it. A kid who most probably liked Leia, and the same kid who wouldn't be the one who would decide that someone else doesn't belong here. That kid is the one who I assume idolised Luke and Han, or maybe you thought Vader was cool. You know what all of those characters did? They respected Leia and her power. They may not have liked her or found her charming, but they understood she was a force to be reckoned with. Get it? She was an integral part of the story. That kid actually got it. That kid understood the part of the story that was about inclusion. That kid, the one who liked Star Wars when it first came out, is the one that made Star Wars a success. You, my friend, are just the shitty adult that poor kid ended up growing up to be. Let's go talk about Deadpool so I can tell you why I didn't like it. Without going on Ryan Reynolds' Instagram page, it's really easy. I mean, not, not going on his Instagram profile. He's a delightful person. Everyone should follow him. He's lovely. Come on, Player 2, let's go. You may be wondering, Player 2, why we're in this broken-down apartment. Have I finally run out of budget? Well, no, this is a podcast. Most of what I do is meant to be theatre of the mind. It's not an actual place we're going. I'm sorry, did I break the fourth wall? That's good, because I'm here to talk about Deadpool. This is his apartment. Deadpool 2 was a triumph of cinema. If the movie industry has been on a journey towards the one perfect film, then this is it. It is a marriage of dizzying humour and raw sadness that come together to... Oh, who am I kidding? You know what I think. Deadpool 2 isn't that great. It's not to say I didn't like it. Hold off on writing me hate mail and what I hope is crayon and not bodily fluids. I mean, do people write things on stuff anymore? I tried to write something the other day. I swear by the gods I almost took my own eye out trying to remember how to hold a pen. I was never that good with it to begin with. The point being, the movie is good. It's a solid superhero redemption arc with plenty of action oozing with wit and innuendo and it's obvious that it really does care about us. And that's the problem. If I'm watching a Deadpool movie, I'm not here for a superhero movie. If I want to see a superhero movie with a redemption arc and a plot that doesn't explode into unicorns and sex jokes every 10 minutes, there's like a thousand Marvel films that simulate superhero movies every few months. Most of them with a dude called Chris playing the main character. The majority of Marvel films are throwaway popcorn superhero films. Of course, there are exceptions because obviously Black Panther. But when I go to a Deadpool movie, that's not what I want to see. I'm here for the anti-hero movie, where the star of the show is anti-heroes. I'm here for grotesque, morally ambiguous human manifestations of chaos and destruction housing itself in the disease-ravaged shell of Deadpool's body. I want darkness and rage, and also more butt jokes and junk jokes. There weren't nearly enough of those. I also want to see more of the other characters. I mean, if you're going to include them at all, include them. Especially the female characters that are very important to this story, but don't really get enough. 
look, I'm not bachelor testing every movie I watch because quite frankly, everything I really love and grabs me by the innards is already problematic and I don't have the rage and time to expend on delving deeper into why it doesn't care about me as much as I love it. Something deeper in that. Here's the thing, and yes, it's a lady thing. I'm a woman-type Pokemon, so I, for some unknown reason that will remain a mystery till the end of time, take it slightly personally when women are continually used as plot points for male characters to springboard off their own character development. I'll give you a hot tip. It happens a lot, Chad. So, I mean, when we look at, say, Zazzy Beats being absolutely wasted as Domino? That was a genius casting choice. For one of the reasons I read was because she can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ryan Reynolds in terms of fast-paced wit. So I was super excited to see her on screen. And she's great in the movie. She plays the part of effortless badass to perfection. So it seems a pity to me that she had all of about six lines in the entire movie. I know DP is a motor mouth, but that was disappointing. That's meant to be banter between her and Deadpool. There's meant to be sparks, but those sparks are stamped out under the weight of a script made heavy with its own tears and not to spoil anything. But the tropes around women in this movie are rife. And it's disappointing, especially when the same writers who I think are brilliant will throw out a reference to Gail Simone, a writer of Deadpool, someone who coined the phrase women in fridges for comic books, and then they'll treat women as mostly plot points or asides, or fridge stuffers. Beats did an amazing job physically in the role of Domino, but it felt like they were wasting her other talents. And maybe that's a metaphor in a way that the society views women through the lens of patriarchy as merely physical vessels than sentient beings with thoughts that are just as valid of expression as their male counterparts. Or maybe the writers just didn't know what to have Domino say. So here's another free tip. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of women who could have helped them out with that. It happened with a lot of the characters too, not just the ladies. It's just the guys tended to have a bit more meat to their stories, whereas the women were more like side salads. And I say this as a very passionate vegan who abhors the adoration of meat culture. You don't make friends with salad. Josh Brolin is a passable cable. A little short in the role, but he's okay. But perhaps Cable is the perfect analogy for this movie. Most of it was okay, the references made my insides flutter, and the delivery was of a standard that made me happy to be watching. But overall, I wanted more from it and in different ratios than what I was being given. The characters, as developed and whole, never really seemed to get there. And just like with the first movie, it's as though someone was trying to make a pizza and a taco. And while a pizza taco is an amazing idea, it's something that requires proper planning and attention to ratios. Or you're going to end up with a soggy mess of ingredients that were meant to be delicious, but because you were too focused on making everyone happy instead of creating something great in its own right, you ruined everything. Why don't you just order food like everyone else? Stop trying to learn to cook. It's not in your skill set. Sorry, this film brought up a lot of personal issues that it seems I'm working through. As for the man himself, Ryan Reynolds is the only Deadpool we'll ever need, other than Donald Glover's Deadpool, which would have been amazing. But again, he just doesn't bring the noise. The Deadpool that I love deals with the world by becoming heartbroken and dejected, then gets so frustrated with that emotion that he lays waste to everything in the world that stands in defiance of him. He was literally one of Apocalypse's four horsemen. And that's what's really missing in this movie for me. He's just well adjusted enough to never have his sorrow turn into fire and brimstone rage. He never melts down and fires up, and I get that that's nice for everyone to have a happy ending, for everyone to feel warm and fuzzy and have character progression, but Deadpool is the comic book patron saint of hating yourself while hating everyone else a little bit more. He's a chaos loop of self-loathing and massive ego. If you get warm and fuzzy, he can bring a scorched earth or at least burnt cheese. That Deadpool doesn't exist in the cinematic universe. Yet.
Combine Deadpool 1 and 2 and you've got a half Voltron or Deadpooltron. And they're getting there. But this final form is far from realised. Deadpool 2 is self-aware, but not in the cool break the fourth wall like it's the gender binary kind of way. More like an intensely self-conscious please love me kind of way. The truth is, the team on Deadpool 2 have the ability to make this something. And they didn't do a bad job, but I think they have to realise they have the ability and the permission to do so much more. We only ever got the tip. When we want the whole pizza taco, I mean chimichanga. Now I want pizza tacos. Come on, player two. Let's go somewhere and talk about the really deep stuff. Like what if androids had feelings and dreamt of sheep, which also have feelings? God, this is a quandary. We're in the mainframe player two of an android who's just gained sentience. I know we're sentient in a sentient being. That sounds dirtier than I intended. I meant it more as like a, oh my god, think of galaxies, but now it's, now it's just filthy. I just wanted to talk to you about Detroit Become Human, which is a game you should play if you want to discuss sentience at the pub, but you don't also want to have to read. Detroit Become Human is from Quantum Dream, and it's like if Horizon Zero Dawn had a baby with Gone Home, and that baby grew up to start a social justice movement with Watch Dogs 2 and Blade Runner. It's a world where androids are the new workforce. Racism and sexism exist, but they've been somewhat set aside for a new form of discrimination, this time against androids, because most humans are still trash fires even in the future when we have androids, everything is cool, why are you ruining it? Now, however, there's an increasing report of deviancy, which is androids androids that go against their own program, usually in order to survive destruction and abuse at the hands of their owners. Shock horror, it turns out treating intelligent life like it isn't intelligent is going to end badly for humanity, a story we know too well, because we're trying to tell ourselves something. You play through three different characters, Marcus, the leader of the android revolution, you must choose between pacifist or aggressive rebellion, Kara, the domestic android who flees a domestic violence situation with the daughter of her abuser, and Connor, a cyberlife prototype designed to hunt down deviants. As the stories progress, you're tested. It's a game of difficult choices, most often in a lose-lose situation. If you're looking for an FPS, you've come to the wrong game. The camera angles were infuriating for me until I realised they're not about getting the best line of sight in order to shoot someone, which is a new thing for me in video games. The camera in this game is a cinematic one. It wants you to observe. It's like playing a character in a television series, rather than an avatar in a morally ambiguous choose-your-own-adventure. Visually, this stunning game surpasses most others in terms of feel and outstanding graphics that manages to make even the mouth and teeth passable. If you enjoyed the feast for your eyes that was Horizon Zero Dawn, then open your eyelids wider and let your iris chow down on this beauty. Yeah, I know, that's probably the wrong part of the Ida reference. But also, eyes don't eat things. It's just poetic license. If your eyes do eat, please skip WebMD and go straight to the doctor because that's a problem, my toothy-eyed friend. Detroit Become Human is more than just life-altering graphics either. It's about questioning how we view and treat sentient beings. This game lays bare discussions on slave class, sentience, and how readily humans will ignore both in other beings in order to satisfy their own desires. It refuses to shrink back on the fact that disruption is a necessary and often bloody part of obtaining equal rights and dignity. It doesn't pretend that a protest group being civil will be rewarded with safety from violence, let alone the rights they're asking for. I know, that's so deep, right? I didn't even have to read a book to come up with those things. I can just go anywhere and talk to people about that and they'll think it's something I came up with in my head. It's amazing.
I mean, I enjoy reading. I think you should too. But if you're not a reader, this is a good way to get about it. The only really glaring problem I see with this game, which is about breaking out of set programming, is the stories told are still quite binary. There is one woman android story to experience, and it centers around her role as a mother figure. The other woman androids feature as oracle types or abused sex workers, whose stories are little more than background noise for the men. Come on! You're talking about discrimination and programming, and you don't think to make the women badasses that you can actually play? I mean, it's a pity that the role of revolutionary couldn't come with the choice of what gender that character could be, even if they start out as Jesse Williams, which wouldn't we all? There should have been the choice there and then to change. But you know, it's hard to make an entire game where you change the way a character looks. Except in all the games where you get to change the way the character looks. That aside, this game is enthralling. And it doesn't bother to be so clever that you miss the message. That these mistakes in the future are already being made in the present. The world building and storytelling within this game make it worth it. And I can overlook, for now, the bad way they treat women. Because at the end of the game, maybe you get to look at how you act and find out whether you're human or someone better. I know it's so deep, right? Want to go ruin Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Come with me, I'll show you how. Yeah, we're in a factory. Okay, it's an abandoned warehouse. The only other place that was a factory was the one from Okja. And look, I really... I, I still wake up in a cold sweat after watching that movie, so this was the best we had. So there's been increased interest in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the last few weeks, which has really ramped up with talk of a new movie happening with Donald Glover as Willy Wonka. And just to get in here ahead of the races, pretending you're just trying to stay true to the original story, for a start, you're wrong on so many things. So many things. But in this in particular, if you didn't make a big fuss at the time, or failing that, continue to point it out now that whenever it's brought up, the Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is its own masterpiece that stood the test of time, that cannot yet be applied to Tim Burton's version. The Gene Wilder version has, however, had the wrong name. The entire point of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is for it to be based around the children, not some old rich dude who runs a factory. And if you don't talk about that, but you're very much against someone who's not white playing Willy Wonka, because staying true to the original story don't. I'm a purist when it comes to characters and continuation, but in order to claim that, it means I have to, one, acknowledge that my view can be rigid to the point of possibly hurting the ability for new generations to find connection with the story, and two, it means I have to know a lot about those characters who I'm fighting for to stay true to the original. If you don't know stuff, then stop fighting for stuff you don't know about, because here's the real twist. Charlie was originally meant to be black, but the publishers didn't think that would really appeal to audiences, so Roald Dahl had to change him. So it turns out, staying true to the original story is something that wasn't done because of racist people. But then, even Roald Dahl changed his story again, because the Oompa Loompas were originally African pygmies in the original writing. He changed it after being contacted by the NAACP because, you guessed it, it was kind of racist. So, if anything, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, as a work of art, has a history of changing and from its actual creator's perspective should be changed in order to become more inclusive for everyone. So to argue against that is to go against the original creator's view of the work and therefore you're not staying true to it. And I know, some may say, well then what about Lovecraft's work? He was heaps racist, but I bet, you know, they don't put that in the new reworking of his stuff. 
And to that I say, yeah, they'll probably change it. Good. He was a mad racist. We shouldn't indulge that. I hope his consciousness is floating around in space somewhere really angry we decided not to include his terrible, terrible views with his awesome writing. That's how this works. Anyway, before the Donald Glover Willy Wonka news, another person who could easily be Willy Wonka in real life because duality of character and reality of consumerism is Elon Musk. He was talking about making lollies. First, let me say there are already Musk sticks. They're great lollies. Everyone should love them. I can't have them because there's gelatin in them, but generally they are very good lollies that everyone has enjoyed. Notice I'm not saying candy because they're not candy, they're lollies, it's it's different. The reason Elon Musk was talking about going into the lolly business is because he apparently finally worked out that actually Willy Wonka has a bit of a dark story. For context, saying that is like an anime fan saying, you know, I think Black Butler is not just about tea and the exciting adventures of a boy genius who runs the Phantom Hive estate, or someone who's into Warhammer 40k suddenly coming out with, hey guys, I think the Emperor might not actually be a completely good guy. Of course, Musk's next tweet was asking everyone what kind of candy they would like. My favourite flavour comes from unionised workforces. Not the people. Do not put people in lollies or anything else. This has been talked about in the Tim Burton version. Cannibalism still frowned upon. And if we were stranded on a desert island, I would cook and consume any one of you in a heartbeat. Sometimes just to see what you would taste like but it's still not a good idea for mass production. Humans pretty much fail most ethical tests in general, um, those that have to do with farming sentient beings specifically, and when those tests are applied to being generally nice to other humans, that is the kind of Venn diagram intersection that is not even worth considering. But let's look at Willy Wonka and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and work out why it's so dark and depressing. And why should we do that? Well, for a start, Donald Glover is being tipped as the new Willy Wonka, and I enjoy SEO and hashtag relevance. But more importantly, I like to ruin things before they even begin. Sadness gives me joy. Are you new to this? This shouldn't be news to you. There are a few ways to look at the darkness of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. First, the surface darkness. Children, spoilt by the indulgences of parents and society, are tortured, terrorised, and in some cases forever changed physically due to their inability to control their baser instincts. Because they're kids. To some, this is merely justice for those who were given a fantastic opportunity and instead of being grateful for it, squandered it due to their own greed. But look a little closer. These are kids. They didn't ask to be raised badly, yet they're the ones who were punished, despite the true culprits being their parents who indulged them. The adults aren't punished in any real direct way. The children only obtain the opportunity to go into the factory through their inability to work the system. The parents play some part in bolstering the children, but mostly it's the kids who get this opportunity. An opportunity afforded to the majority of them through the capitalist machine that is geared towards further rewarding those already in power while pretending to be a fair system in the guise of the golden ticket competition. Oh, everyone has an equal opportunity? Do they? There's like, what, five or six tickets across the entire world and you're telling me that they can be equally distributed with no way for those with more money and therefore more power to be able to rig the system? Because if that's what you're telling me, you obviously don't know the story of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because that's what it very much shows. Speaking of systems of power, how about those Oompa Loompas? 
They have no union. They're removed from their homes, which are considered dangerous, and whose word do we have to go on that? Then they work for seemingly no form of currency that could allow them to go on and better themselves within the society they've been transported to. You can't pay for an education with chocolate coins. You can pay for very little few things with chocolate coins. Trust me, it only leads to people asking you to leave the store, ma'am, and take your melted chocolate and tin foil with you. The Oompa Loompas are trapped in their circumstances. And though they appear to be mostly okay, with that, that's only the Oompa Loompas we see. And what if they're okay but the next generation isn't? What if those kids want to grow up to be doctors or writers or poets? What if they want to travel the world? What has Wonka put in place to ensure their needs and goals can be met outside of being factory workers for him? The answer is, he hasn't. They are at best existing as a surf class under the benevolent gaze of their ruler who is fallible, as far as we know, to age and disease. And when he passes on, what happens to them? Oh, that's right, Charlie gets to inherit them. Anyway, the true moral of this story is that rewards only come to those who are pure of heart and everyone who's a little bit broken, jaded or otherwise affected by the world is irredeemable. They get nothing but lessons, which actually isn't that bad. Unless you consider that in the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka movie, Charlie goes against the rules and drinks something and he still gets rewarded with massive amounts of stuff, while Violet and Veruca have their appearances forever changed and treated like trash, respectively. So you see, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a dark story. Or... Maybe it was a lesson that Dahl was trying to get us to learn. The important thing is that Donald Glover, and more importantly, Janelle Monet, would make a good Willy Wonka. More important for that, though, is who they choose as Charlie, because it is about Charlie. And I vote Storm Reed definitely should play Charlie. If you think that got the neckbeards angry, play it too. Just wait until you see where we're going next. We're going to need a, a ship, a fast one that can do the Kessel Run in like 16, 17 parsecs. I know 14's the record, but I don't need to shoot for greatness. So long as I shoot first. We're in a galaxy far, far away. And I'd like to do some sound effects to show that player too, but copyright, right? Whenever someone says far, far away, I, I think of Shrek, and unlike the Shrek extended universe, the Solo, a Star Wars movie, is a delightful addition to a franchise that's already been in the wars about stars. I'm sorry, it's been a long week, that's the best I got. You'll likely have heard a lot about the Solo movie and most of it conflicting, but I'm about to go Sith on this one so you can believe I have the absolute word on this, and the word is good. I don't need to take you through everything that's happened in Star Wars, but I've always dreamed of being like that scrolling text at the start of the movie. So here's a recap that can fill you in on what's happened and give you a little more information. And if you need to, I mean, just go to the bathroom, get something to eat, settle down. This is going to take a while. The originals came out like 40 years ago, and it was a cultural phenomenon. It changed the way broader society viewed sci-fi and sci-fi fantasy. It was huge for sound effects, music, and special effect techniques being used to build an entire galaxy really set us on the path to greatness. Then the prequels came out, and the less said about them, the better. Since then, there's been the animated series, which is better at showcasing the extended universe beyond the framework set up by the Jedis. There's been more areas of grey, and it certainly hinted, and at other times straight up showed the levels of inequality and chaos that plagued the galaxy. And it's not all the fault of the Empire. Now we have the new Star Wars films, all of which have gone back to the original alchemic techniques that allow this explosion of success. And it's worked. You may say Last Jedi was not a good film, and you're entitled to your very wrong opinion. 
that's wrong. That film opened up the discussion about the Force and how to view it in a binary way is close-minded. Before anyone asks me trying to explain the Force, do not. The old extended universe clearly shows that the Force is not binary, it's always been used in a number of different ways, and I would argue that it is only the institutionalized use of the Force by the Jedi that has only ever made us think that it would fit in such rigid confines and is actually what has created more Siths than anything else, which is what The Last Jedi was about. And while I confess I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, I know that much. And if you are a big Star Wars fan and you didn't know that, then I'm super glad to have been able to share something cool with you because honestly, the lore and stories around the Force and how it's used throughout the galaxy really does hit for me. I mean, when they essentially blew up the extended universe, I was worried those details would be lost, but they're not. The new Star Wars films are showing that. Now, we have Solo, a Star Wars story. And it's exactly what it says on the box. For non-Star Wars fan, it's a solid sci-fi action flick, plenty of high octane, or in their case, shiny snowflake fuel chase scenes. A basic narrative that you should be able to follow without really knowing the characters before now, and world building that I hope will finally drag you into the maelstrom of chaos that is that galaxy far, far away. But for Star Wars fans, this is entire movie is an easter egg with gooey blue milk center with chunks of sweet, sweet references throughout. I'm not sure if that sounds appetizing, it's meant to. I'm not good at desserts or, or cooking in general. The point being, there is so much for Star Wars fans. If you think you'll only have one chance to see this in cinemas, then I recommend watching the originals before you go. That way you're maximizing your reference knowledge before you head in there. I did not do that. It's the only mistake I made in going to see this film. I heard a lot of mixed messages about this film too. People complaining that the Solo movie about Han Solo and his origins spends too much time actually explaining things we've heard about in the previous movies about Han Solo. I don't know whether I have to explain why it shouldn't come as a great surprise that literally the most important parts of Han Solo's life, so important that they're mentioned in the original movies, were also then featured heavily in this movie about Han Solo's origin as Han Solo. What were you expecting? It's like watching a movie about Batman's origin story and then complaining there's too much of it set in Gotham. <sighs> People have also complained about the 70s, early 80s aesthetic. I can't understand why it would have that. And Star Wars has never had fully formed characters. They've always been archetypes and that's okay, so we need to stop expecting huge character progression and growth in a single movie. It took three movies for Luke to stop being quite so whingy and some would argue still hasn't really happened. You're not going to change Han from the sweet summer child of fluffiness into a roguish cynic he was in the originals in just one movie. The only real negatives I can see about this movie come from people wanting the dots to be joined for them, and that's not how these movies work. You have to think about it. You have to make the connections yourself. You have to be engaged, <laughs> Star Wars reference, with the material in order to get the most out of it. The gift of Star Wars keeps on giving in discussion. For instance... Randall's Clerk's Star Wars discussion, which is still relevant today, one of the best pieces of any film ever. And this movie, along with being a veritable feast for the eyes and ears, gives you discussion points for Star Wars. It's been hinted at before, but this is a very real look at the galaxy in chaos, at who will be in control if not the Empire, and how the Empire has risen to where it is, possibly because of that. It explodes the extended universe, but this time, instead of a Death Star explosion of deadly magnitude, it just makes everything bigger. I desperately want to tell you how it makes things bigger, but it's going to be so much better if you see it for yourself on the big screen, where this truly epic extended universe stretches itself way beyond a fight against the Empire. There is more than one type of rebel, and more than one type of injustice. And more importantly, more importantly, it has characters that you're going to love. 
it's a solo film but he's hardly ever alone which is kind of the point it's interesting to see a young solo not all that different from luke skywalker racing to just become a fantastic pilot and live a life of adventure but it's also cool to see a young mostly together lando calrissian to witness chewie's struggle between friendship and kinship kira who's the partner slash love interest in the film who can easily fool you into thinking she's some damsel in distress which is exactly what she wants you to think and of course the best part of the film is the droid and how much you care about her they did this in the originals and they continue to do it throughout the franchise whether it's someone in a suit a special effect or a henson puppet you care about these completely inhuman characters and this droid you're really gonna feel for this year's been the longest it's only been about five months since last jedi so maybe that's why it didn't do well at the box office maybe it's star wars fatigue maybe people are just tired but those poor numbers shouldn't stop you from going and seeing this on the big screen because you deserve something this light and dark because you're probably worth it come on play too let's head back to the tavern Well, player two, we're back at the tavern and I've really got no more news to tell you. I know there's been some big E3 stuff, so I'm going to work hard to get you back to Land of Pod so we can talk all about that. If you like this podcast, and even if you didn't, rate it highly on whichever podcatcher you're getting on on. Maybe share it around to friends, trick them into thinking it's a good thing. You can also follow me on Twitter at ChaosKittyM, uh, also on Facebook, KittyM. Until next time, player two.